This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. The European Union reached an agreement to voluntarily reduce natural gas demand by 15% in preparation of Russian cuts to gas supplies. Exemptions from the reduction target are possible for some member states. The bloc's decision came a day after Gazprom announced it would further cut gas flows through the Nord Stream 1 pipeline to Europe, saying the pipeline needs repair work. Volodymyr Zelensky accused Russia of gas blackmail. Russia will withdraw from the International Space Station after 2024, said Yuri Borisov, Russia's space chief. The country will focus on building its own orbital outpost. Mr. Borisov's predecessor had previously said that Moscow would consider extending its participation in the station's operations only if the West lifts sanctions on Russia. Since the invasion of Ukraine, the space station had represented a rare avenue of cooperation between America and Russia. The International Monetary Fund slashed its global growth forecast for 2022 to 3.2%, down 0.4% from its April estimate, and nearly half the rate of growth from last year. Thanks in large part to inflation, the IMF projects just 2.9% growth in 2023, with the potential to dip to 2% should COVID-19 lockdowns suppress China's economy or political fragmentation hamper global trade. Credit Suisse's chief executive, Thomas Gottstein, is set to depart after two years at the helm of the Swiss bank, according to the Wall Street Journal. Mr. Gottstein was supposed to right the ship after a spying scandal forced out the bank's previous boss in 2020. Instead, Credit Suisse was rocked by the collapses of Greensill Capital and Archegos Capital Management last year. Second quarter income for General Motors, the American carmaker, fell 40% year-on-year to $1.7 billion due to supply chain woes. The firm blamed lockdowns in China and a shortage of semiconductors for the drop, but offered a cheerier outlook for the rest of the year. Mary Barra, the chief executive, said GM would limit hiring and reduce spending to guard against a possible recession. Bangladesh repeatedly asked the International Monetary Fund for a $4.5 billion loan amid diminishing foreign exchange reserves. According to local media, Bangladesh wants help to deal with its budget, balance of payments crisis, and efforts to combat climate change. The country is struggling with mounting energy and food costs amid global economic shockwaves caused by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. China attempted to obtain insider information from America's Federal Reserve, according to an investigation by a Senate committee. The investigation identified a sustained effort by China over more than a decade to gain influence over the Federal Reserve and a failure by the Federal Reserve to combat this threat effectively. The Fed disputed the investigation's findings, calling it unfair, unsubstantiated, and unverified. And fact of the day. 60%. 
The share of Australians that say China is more of a security threat to Australia than an economic partner. And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. The Fed tightens again. The Federal Reserve is all but certain to announce yet another hefty interest rate increase on Wednesday as it fights to rein in inflation in America. Markets have priced in a 0.75-point rise for the second straight month, which would mark America's sharpest monetary tightening since the early 1980s. And this will not be the Fed's last move. Most investors expect it to lift short-term rates by another full percentage point before the end of the year. That would take interest rates to more than 3%, up from, in effect, 0% at the start of March. The Fed's belated haste to raise rates may be working. Inflation expectations, measured by consumer surveys and bond pricing, have softened slightly. But higher rates are also starting to hit the economy. Construction of new houses has slowed sharply, while applications for unemployment insurance have inched up. Taming inflation without undermining growth is a tall order. Gun Manufacturers Under Fire This year in America, there have been more than 300 mass shootings. In 2020, young Americans were more likely to die from guns than any other cause. Now, the firearms industry is coming under scrutiny. On Wednesday, a congressional committee will examine its role in America's gun violence. The heads of three gun manufacturers will testify, including the boss of Daniel Defense, the firm that made the rifle used by the gunman who killed 19 children and two teachers in Uvalde, Texas, in May. On July 15th, Every Town for Gun Safety, a gun control lobby group, filed a complaint with regulators that accused Daniel Defense of violating the law by marketing its products to at-risk teens and young men. Carolyn Maloney, the committee's chair, has pledged to hold gunmakers accountable for the carnage they enable and profit from. She can point to moving testimony from another hearing when Mia Cerillo, an 11-year-old survivor of the Uvalde shootings, described how she covered herself in the blood of a slain classmate and played dead to save herself. Macron in Africa Emmanuel Macron's three-country African tour this week marks his first trip outside Europe since his re-election as France's president in April. Having visited Cameroon, on Wednesday, Mr. Macron travels to Benin and then to Guinea-Bissau. The trip is designed to reinforce the renewal of French ties to Africa and to discuss food security and counterterrorism in the region. The latter is particularly pressing. Given the spillover of jihadist violence from the Sahel to countries in the Gulf of Guinea. By late summer, France will have ended its formerly 2,400 strong counter terrorism operations and closed all its military bases in Mali. Relations with the country's military junta have soured amid anti French protests. But French troops will remain in the broader Sahel region. Mr. Macron hopes to continue to support counterterrorism operations with other countries, but in ways that are less visible, 
leaving France less exposed to anti-colonial criticism. The Sputtering Recovery of India's Car Sector On Wednesday, Maruti Suzuki and Tata Motors, India's two biggest automobile companies, announce earnings for the quarter ending in June. Their performance will reveal much about the country's broader economic performance. According to an industry body, the car sector accounts for roughly 7% of India's GDP and nearly half of its manufacturing output, directly and indirectly, it employs around 37 million people, roughly the population of Poland, and car sales are a strong indicator of consumer demand. Profits at Maruti Suzuki, the market leader in passenger vehicles, are expected to soar, but only when compared with last year's COVID-induced slump. Tata Motors, meanwhile, is expected to post a loss because of rising costs and an industry-wide semiconductor shortage. Overall, though, car sales in India have grown beyond pre-pandemic levels thanks, in part, to a boom in high-end SUVs. But the sales of motorbikes and other two-wheelers, the vehicle of choice for poorer Indians, have yet to bounce back. That suggests a lopsided recovery. California is burning, again. The mercifully slow start to California's wildfire season was shattered on Friday, when the so-called Oak Fire set Mariposa County near Yosemite National Park ablaze. By Tuesday morning, the conflagration spanned over 18,000 acres, about 7,300 hectares, and was 26% contained. It is much smaller than the Dixie Fire, which scorched nearly one million acres last year, but is nonetheless California's largest fire this year. California's wildfires matter beyond the areas they blacken. Flames threaten ancient sequoia trees, which are among the world's most effective at carbon sequestration. America's National Park Service estimates that wildfires have killed 13 to 19 percent of the world's large sequoias in the past two years. President Joe Biden's Build Back Better bill, which was dealt a fatal blow last week, has devoted $27 billion to the restoration of forests. Sequoias may be soldiers in the war against climate change, but with legislation stalled in Congress, they are left to fight without reinforcements. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Wednesday in what location did Eva Braun get married in April 1945? Tuesday. Who was nominated as Best Supporting Actress for her role in the film Goodwill Hunting? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Bob Hope, who died on this day in 2003. 
I have seen what a laugh can do. It can transform almost unbearable tears into something bearable, even hopeful. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.